All righty, folks. Welcome back to the Mushing Alaska podcast. As always, a pleasure to be here. A lot going on in our world lately. We've uh, we've attempted to do this intro a few times, but uh, Sean, how you doing, man? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty good. You know, have had a fun week, uh, weekend, um, going and uh, seeing the Ferrandi, which we've will continue to talk about, and uh, excited for this weekend to come. And super busy time for for me personally, and for you too, dude. And so, uh, but yeah, you know, it's busy, but it's we're doing the things we want to do, and uh, that's a pretty cool thing. So yeah, I'm doing all right. Right on, man. Well, um, you know, we'll kind of get to things. You know, I'm sure a lot of the listeners since our last episode, there's been some major news in the Iditarod community. And so we we're going to do our best to kind of talk about it. Um, you know, during that time, the Iditarod board has voted to disqualify Eddie Burke Jr. and Brent Sass from the Iditarod for this year. And that's due to violations of personal conduct. Um, you know, <laughs> it's like we've been trying to put this intro out for like four or five days and seriously, like every day there's, there's more and more developments that happen, you know? Uh, so following these decisions for the disqualification, Eddie's legal matters were dismissed, which led to the board reinstating him for the race. Uh, and then I guess a few days ago, and then Eddie decided that he was going to opt to sit out this year's race, which is a whole nother thing that we can talk about as well. Um, one thing that we wanted to say is that we support the victims of domestic violence. We do not condone violence against women. And we would love to shift the focus from that ongoing narrative and developing situation that's been devastating news for those involved and for the mushing community. Uh, at the end of the day, we're just two brothers or two dudes with a mushing podcast trying to have a little fun. And we feel that it would be inappropriate to everyone involved for us to delve any deeper into a sensitive situation that we are really not qualified to talk about. So want to just go ahead and put that out there, Sean. I don't know if there's something else that maybe you'd like to add to that as well. Yeah. I mean, there's just a lot of uh, really alarming, you know, information that's coming out uh, and it's coming from, a lot of different sources of uh some very credible sources and some not so much i i'm friends with a lot of people in the mesh mushing community you hear you know rumors and people my friend told me this one time that this guy and da, 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 da. and so i just have like so much information bouncing around in my brain about this and i have like opinions and i have like really strong emotions about this and i uh, we tried to kind of share them and I tried to like, we recorded this uh, like a, a day ago and like, I tried to share my thoughts like off the dome and not, and, and with a little like less preparation, you know, than just kind of like we, we typically just kind of talk, you know? And so we, but like, as I was saying things, I was like, dude, I don't fucking know. Like, I don't even know, dude. And I'm, I'm just gonna like know that it's really not my place to talk about this situation that you know 
And I, I just feel like my, the information that I'm getting is from all over the place. And, and, uh, and it's just not appropriate for me to be commenting on, on this. And, uh, it's really been a, um, yeah, a pretty big explosion, uh, in the mushroom community and really tough for everybody to, to hear this stuff. So, yeah, I think we're just, look, we got 38 mushers in this race. There's, um, you know, 38 times 16 dogs, whatever that is. Uh, you know, there's several hundred dogs out there going and blasting off across the state. You know, I think that everybody has like a natural, like attraction to negative news. 608. 608 dogs. I think everybody has a natural attraction to negative news. You know, it's, this is the news that broke through to the mainstream. It's on, you know, ESPN, you know, wouldn't it be cool if ESPN hit us up and said, Hey, isn't it cool that, you know, you have all this strong female um, mushers that are kind of competing and in some situations actually doing a lot better than the male mushers. And that's a kind of a, like a unique, this might be the only sport where males and females are competing on an even playing field. And there's some amazing storylines about in the junior Iditarod and the, and uh, all these races that have happened this year. And, and um, going into this, I did ride and know like the only thing that we're going to, you know, the the only way that the mushing gets to the mainstream is by a huge negative story. And I, you know, that's just says like, it's just the world we live in, man. This is the world we live in. And there's bad things happen in uh, every, you know, setting, uh, whether it's in the mushing community or it's, uh, you know, in your work or whatever, like shit, bad shit happens. And yeah, like I said, I just don't feel like we really have, I don't think our, our opinions uh, really matter um, and they're not worth sharing. Um, and, in, and like I said, this is a mushing Alaska podcast. We're going to talk about Alaska and mushing and dogs. And that's the best way for us to move forward. That's what I think. Yep. Then the, one thing that I would just slightly add to things is um, I wish that the timing of this was, was handled maybe, maybe differently or earlier. I mean, it's tough to say that now, right. But, you know, for this to be the main thing that we're talking about literally as we walk into the Iditarod is, is tough. And so, you know, I hope that maybe, maybe situations like this down the road are maybe they consider that, you know, because, um, like Sean just said, there's a lot of other storylines that we can be talking about as we prepare to, you know, start the race. And unfortunately, we're not really focused on a lot of that. So, uh, but with that, I think we've said what we need to. And I think it's time that we move on to uh, some other news. And Sean, I know that you were at the Junior Iditarod. And so I think we should start there. Yeah. I mean, I kind of blew it seeing like the winners and stuff because I wanted to go snowboarding. Oh, excuse really nice. me. Really nice out. And sorry, Emily, I missed you. But um, I saw I saw Lisa Musher come in and made a quick set of quick hello. But um it was just uh 
cool to see you know i got there and, and it was it was a really nice day there's a little bit of fog on the lake and the second the last musher came in and he he was super stoked uh maybe it was she i couldn't they're all bundled up and i was just kind of lurking in the background just kind of watching and and seeing you know the family of the musher celebrate and uh yeah you know three wins by emily uh you know matt i'm matt pavelio is a friend of mine and his daughter is now completed three uh junior iditarods there's a lot of mushers in the race that are um multi-finishers i think the second place finisher um has been second place quite a few times uh to emily who's almost won almost every race she's been in um and i am i mean you know i don't really i I, real quickly i want to keep up with everybody yeah 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 yeah. real quickly i want to give a shout out to morgan martins he kept it really close with emily throughout i was watching the tracker pretty consistently throughout the weekend and i mean even just looking at like into eagle quest oh i guess the the time differential is not quite there but like i mean literally breathing down her back i think they were separated by 13 minutes and then it was 19 minutes and then um you know it ended up being 29 almost 30 minutes um but i thought morgan did great um and then I also wanted to give a shout out to the rookie of the year, which is Aunt Addie Ann Randall. We talked about her in a previous episode. She is hoping to become the youngest to uh, at least attempt and hopefully finish. I did a rod because um, I think her birthday is literally the day of or the day before that did a rod in 2026, I think is don't quote me on that, but uh, so want to give her a little bit of a shout out as well. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's exciting to see there's, I think there's like 20 or 20, 20 some odd kids here. Um, I think that that's great. I, I wouldn't know much about junior. I did rods in the past numbers at least, but I mean, I think 20 is, is pretty solid. John, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I try my best to network my way through uh, the mushroom community, but the reality is I've met still not even half of the folks involved with it. Um, and, and so there's a lot of names that I don't recognize, but that doesn't mean they don't deserve all the credit in the world. I'm not like an expert on everything and really anything. Uh, wait, wait, but, wait, wait, wait. You're not an expert on everything or anything? Yeah, dude, I'm just a fraud. Um, Damn, and I'm not trying to call you out like that. Sorry, man. It's all it's all love. It's bro. all good. It's all love. I don't know. I know it's all love, but I'm just shook up a little bit about this week's sh- stuff going on, and and this is a really tough race. Junior Iditarod is not just 150 miles; it's a little bit longer. I think it's almost a somewhere close to 160, and it's two really long runs with the long rest. And the, that rest is challenging because some some of these dog teams are pretty well trained and 
they're not like maybe they're not but they're not maybe like ready to, to just kind of lay down for a super long rest like that um so they i think what was the rest is it eight or ten hours it's ten hours right i uh, don't know that i'm not yeah, go to eagle pretend. if you look at the times in and time out on eagle quest uh oh no yeah no i mean it's, it's where they turn around so you have uh leave it 18 that's six yeah so it's 10 hours 10 hours, 10 hours that they had to rest so 10 hours is like a long it's a pretty long rest for a team to be able to like just kind of have a meal and go to sleep like you might be thinking about beating to a snack and then maybe a light meal in between with a nap in between and afterwards and so it's i don't know it's there so there's i think it's a kind of tricky format with having a long run and a long rest and a long run it's it's uh it it's it people view it as like the junior it's a junior idea or a junior kind of race in some ways this race is like harder just because you have these like two really long runs and a long rest and so you know good job to everybody and uh these are some tough tough girls and tough boys that got out there and and did this thing oh yeah and the dogs of course are incredible and you can tell you can tell the kids really have a special connection with the dogs and and that it's a really good way to teach us you know someone that's 14 15 16 years old how to persevere and and uh you know get some self-confidence and uh do something like 160 miles into the middle of nowhere with 10 dogs and coming back in one piece and, and they all clearly knew seemed like they there's uh, maybe the race didn't go perfectly for everybody but you, you see a lot of talented young mushers in this race yeah yeah i mean over half maybe 70 percent. just doing a quick look at it finished with 10 dogs so you know you like to see that and um yeah it'll be it'll be not it'll be cool to see um these names as they continue to grow and develop you know emily has one more uh one more year left to run this race so she can go her this win was uh, tides the record for the most so she she could win next year and, and set the record uh it'll be interesting to see how some of those other names beneath her also you know, if they're gonna step up and compete, give her some competition or um, you know, but we'll be excited to root those folks on as we always are. Anything else on the uh junior I did or odd, Sean? Did yeah, you talk I mean, to anyone while you were there? I, I said a quick hello to some the schlossers who were out on the trail, the brothers uh helping out with volunteering for the race and i i might have i was uh i was pretty tired and i wasn't like feeling very social um but i uh talked with i believe it was emily who won the goose bay but i didn't know it was her (laughs) so i like she was all bundled up and i was all bundled up and i was like is that emily i don't know i could just ask but i didn't ask and then I just, we just like the conversation and, and then I just walked away and I, sometimes I'm weird. Sorry. 
I mean, you know, it is what it is. I don't know. So you said Emily won the Goose Bay? Um, right. I think so. Who won the Goose? Who won the Goose Bay? Was it? Is it? You can Google it real quick. Goose Bay one fifty. Believe it was won by Emily Kroll. Oh, 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 oh. I I was just mixing up. I was like, wait, I didn't realize that Emily was in Robinson was in. Okay. Just a misunderstanding yeah. on my part. All right. Um, yeah, I did not see Emily Robinson there, no. I was there briefly and I I it was like I came a little bit too late, so I just saw like tail end of things. Got you. Uh, so you also over the weekend were posting some stuff from the Ferrandi. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I, I firstly, I don't, I wanted to proceed everything I'm about to say with just a reiteration of I've been in the mid distance and long distance scene for, I've participated in it for five years. I've been still involved with it peripherally and, and made good friends with everyone in that, not everyone, with some of the people in that race and hope to continue to make those connections. And the the sprint racing world is is really honestly completely separate. There is some, I mean, communication between both worlds, but like the dogs that are in these events are different than the dogs that are in mid-distance and long-distance. Like they're, you don't, like if, if, if the mid distance and long distance dogs ran most of them, if they ran in the Ferrandi, they would get last place. And if the uh, sprint dogs ran in the Iditarod, they would probably, I mean, even if they trained all year for it, it would still not probably wouldn't perform as well. Um, so, you know, for those naturally, that there's just other skill sets in the dogs. They're running upwards of 20 miles an hour, you know, so they're, these dogs are kind of sprint dogs and they're, they got a little more of a houndy background. You, uh, you can see big floppy ears and shorter coats and uh, long strides. And uh, they, um, yeah, they're just faster. Uh, so they're going and there, and there's like a finer margin for error. Cause you're running 25 miles th- to 29 miles ish Friday, you do it again, Saturday, you do it again, Sunday. And the fastest lap time wins. So you should literally, if you have one tangle or you have one wrong turn or you crash your sled, like that could be the difference between fourth place and 10th place, you know? And whereas I did a rod, like I can pull over, stop my dogs, give them a pet, you know, uh, re- put on some new booties and take a piss and then get back on the sled. And it's like, that that might not even really affect how quickly, like the dogs probably benefit from that stop and probably doesn't affect, you know, your competitiveness. So with this, there's just like a really fine margin for error with how your run goes and how smoothly it is and how fast you go you know dogs obviously start off a lot faster at the the gate and then they're kind of a little calmer as they roll into the finish line and uh yeah they start with really i don't think it's like an open class like you think you can have 
usually people don't do more than 20 dogs but yeah you know some people will start with that many dogs and finish with you know a few a few less uh and you know put some young dogs in the start let them run the first day see the experience see the people see the other dogs get the stoke happening and then just send them home right after that first one just so they got that exposure and you can bank that for next year um but yeah it was cool to see the whole scene and then it's uh a lot of respect to what those guys are doing the strategy is kind of completely different and i was fascinated by it and i learned a lot and i still have a lot to learn about it and uh congratulations to the rookie winner annie from quebec and the second place was Remy Costa, who's been winning a lot of these sprint races um, in North America. Uh, Annie and Mallow Street, is her last Annie name. Annie Mallow. And, uh, and then Bud, Buddy, Bud Streeper, Buddy Streeper. See, like, I, I, I don't know. I, like, literally saw Buddy, Buddy Streeper for the first time this weekend, and they were like, the only, only reason I knew it was him was because someone was like, hey, look, it's the Streeper guy. And I was like, oh. That's what he looks like. So, yeah, I mean, like, I'm not, I'm learning. I'm learning a lot about, about the sprint we're, world. We're, all, we're both learning here, forget. man. Yeah. Um, but it was really cool to see. And it's fun because it's a real competition. And I did ride, of course, it's a real competition, but in Anchorage, it's, it's ceremonial. And so it was fun to see these people kind of in race mode and they're not messing around and, and, you know, and I don't think like a lot of fans, like, I don't think they like know, like, what, like, like they, they don't know, like, that there's a like pretty intense competition that's going on. Obviously, some fans do, but they're just like, oh, look, like, there's sled dogs. Like, they look, look a lot smaller than I thought they were going to look, and they're different than I thought they were going to look. And I tell people, like, yeah, they're going to do this again tomorrow. And they're like, wait, they do it again? I'm like, yeah, and again on Sunday. And they were like, wait, what? You know, big, so people don't, not everyone knows all the rules. And, um, so it was, and I was trying to do my best to learn them, but yeah, it was, it was cool to see. It was, it was a cool experience and it's a fun social thing too. There's a carnival and there's an ice snow, snow sculpture competition and, you know, there's everyone's wearing fancy furs and stuff. And it was a, it was a fun vibe and I, it was similar to that. I did her at the start, but definitely a, unique in its own way too. Yeah, man. One of the videos that you took, um, one of the mushers was coming around and like making that right hand turn. And man, those dogs were just so powerful. I'm like, that turn, I mean, the musher made it look so easy. But in my head, I was just thinking to myself, I'm like, man, that turn is probably a little bit more technical, especially with 20 dogs pulling as fast as they are. Like, I don't know. I, I again, I'm just, I'm just a guy sitting on my, in my chair here in Atlanta, Georgia, but uh, yeah, I thought just I thought I love I like those videos that you were sending. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, I didn't. I mean, I didn't really plan to do it, but I just figured, yeah, we're mushing Alaska. Must put some videos of the dogs mushing. Um, nice. So, yeah, I you know it was just a little something that uh, people could see, and uh, yeah, I definitely encourage you to check it out. Um, anybody. Uh, to come, go and check out the fur Ronde. It was a, it was uh the fur rendezvous. Like, like I'm confused talking about it. Like the fur rendezvous is 
a race that's the three-day race that just happened this weekend but it's also like the whole week is for rendezvous like the carnival and the ice sculpting and there's a talent show and there's a toilet seat race and there's running with the reindeer and there's all these things it's all kind of there's the iditarod star there's the Ferrandi sprint race there's um all kinds of stuff going on and it's all it's a lot there's a lot going on and it's a uh, <laughs> kind of a little bit confusing so i'm trying to kind of get a clearer picture of things Slowly but surely, I remember you were kind of talking about this a little bit last year, and and I my mind was blown because I was just like, oh, I didn't even know any of this went on like right before the Iditarod. So, um, I'm sure as you continue to live there, you'll continue to have your experiences, and we'll learn more about those things along the way. Uh, yeah. one thing I did want to do is circle back around. We were having that conversation about Emily. Uh, Emily Kroll is the name of the girl who won the Goose Bay 150. Which I've like, dude, I've met her like four times. I've fucked up and I like don't know. I recognize faces and names and I struggle. So I'm sorry, Emily. Uh, and I, uh, yeah, congrats on your Goose Bay win. And and she's like, honestly, the reason I've seen her around so much is because she's volunteering at almost every event. Like she's just a genuine part of giving back to the community. So nice. done a respect there. And that's what she was doing at the junior. I did around right on. Um, next up on the list, just wanted to briefly talk about the, I did trail invitational. I saw, I think that started today or maybe yesterday. I saw a picture, um, or a post that had some videos of all the, the thick bike tires, you know, and them taking off and, I think I saw there was a 350 mile version and then there's the uh, getting all the way to Nome. And, you know, for me, Sean and I've talked about it in, in uh, prior episodes, you know, I used to do triathlons. I still intend to do more. I just got to get this hip of mine. Right. Um, and so anytime, you know, we talk about the racing with, with uh, the, whether it's running or whether it's swimming or biking, I'm always interested. And, in, you know, just like the idea of, of getting on a bike and doing the Iditarod route is crazy to me. What, what do you, would you have any thoughts on, on anyone? Yeah. Do you know anyone who's done that before? Or? Not like personally, I've met a couple of them on the trail and you know, there was like this, you sit in a 100 happened a week or two ago. And one of the Barrington yep. twins, I believe it was Christy and Andy, uh, the husband and wife, um, ran the, uh, did that race. And, um, yeah, and then, the ITI, I did our trail invitational happened and, uh, yeah, those guys, that's a crazy undertaking. I mean, they did a ride sled dog race is also a crazy undertaking, but in a completely different way. And, uh, I, wow. I mean, imagine just even going like 200 miles, let alone 350, let alone a thousand. And, uh, it's, and then when you go on a bike and it's like, sometimes the bike trail is great, but a lot of the time it ain't, you know, a lot of times that's a soft trail or, uh, and, and that's really the biggest hindrance to a bicycle out, out in winter conditions, the fat tire bike can tolerate some soft trails but if you get enough fresh snow or you get warm enough temperatures 
you're probably walking the bike is the reality. And so I think some people bike it and some people like walk it on skis. Um, and I think it depends on the year. And again, I'm still learning, but uh, I think it depends on the year. Sometimes the bike crushes it and wins the race by like, like all the top much, all the top ITI guys are have bikes and some years the bikes are middle back of the pack and this people skiing, you know, are out in front. And so I'm really curious about how the whole ITI scene is. And I wish, I wish I knew more. I wish I had done a little bit more research before recording today, honestly, but um, pretty, pretty cool going and human powered all the way across Alaska, or even if you're doing this, you sit in a 100 or the, the ITI 350, all those things. I mean, just absolute bonkers. So I was just looking up last year, the winner won in a little under uh, 17 days. So they average, I guess if you're on a winning pace, you're averaging roughly 55 to 60 miles a day. So that's... It's unsupported too. Like they're not sending out stuff to my knowledge to the checkpoints and whatnot. Like there might be things that they can like get at checkpoints. I don't know, man. But I, they always, I always hear it's unsupported is the word I hear around that race. Whatever we'll have to follow. We'll have to follow up on on this. I'm I'm interested. It's an easy thing for us to get lost and go down the rabbit hole on right now, though. And and uh, we'll we'll save that for. You another. should ask. I bet you some of the people you're gonna have on are gonna know a good bit about that. So yeah, I mean, I, think- I did a run. Christy would be a perfect person to ask. I bet you she at least has some information or knowledge more so than than we do, clearly. Um, so, yeah, and then the other thing that I wanted to bring up is I saw this post the other day, and I wanted to share it, and I wanted to get your your experience. And that is um, that the Mushergrams, uh, they're doing that this year. And I just want to read this post for anyone who's not watching on YouTube. So the call center opens today. This was a post five hours ago. So we're recording this on the 26th. The call center opens today. Call the race information line that is active from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. Alaska time starting today throughout the end of the race. You can call and talk to our awesome volunteer call center team for information about the race, including musher tracking, standings, insider issues, and general information. This also means it's time for mushergrams. The call center representative will take your name, what musher you would like like it to, and what you would like your message to be, and they will physically handwrite that note that will make its way up the trail to the musher. And so... Uh, I just like bringing this up when Sean, you know, hopefully most of you all are, are listening to, to more than one episode and know Sean's story, but you know, like Sean had that last minute entrance into the 20, I did a rod and we couldn't get there. And, you know, like the least that I felt like I could do was, um, send him a, a message with the mushergram and, you know, what I did for him was I made a post and it just was like, hey, Sean's doing this race. I'm sure he'd love to hear from you. Just any words of encouragement. And, 
you know, along the way they they deliver it to Sean and when when or if in Sean's case it's when he has a chance to read, but in other mushers uh, uh, cases it might be if they have that chance, um, they get a chance to read it. And you know, I know for Sean that it was probably special in some way. And I don't know what's your what was your experience like with those mushergrams and uh, just anything you want to add on that. Um, yeah, I think I got them in Galena, maybe. And, you know, I had no idea what the hell a mushroom was. And I just get this fat stack of cards, handwritten. I didn't know if they wrote, if like you wrote them, Brennan, or whoever was it was from wrote them. I didn't know any of those details, but, you know, it was pretty welcomed. And, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a little softer than some of these guys out in the I I did a rod trail this year. I'm a little a little uh there's might be some people like me out there too, but yeah, it was it meant a lot and you're really alone out there. So especially if it's someone that you, you know, I mean it, it meant a lot coming from people I didn't know, but that almost in some ways, like it coming from like your buddy that you grew up with that you hadn't talked to in twelve years or it came from your mom, you know, and everything in between, it was, it was pretty special. And it was a nice, just like 15 minute mental break from just the grind, the mental grind. And, uh, and reading those things, I was tears flowing down, hitting the cards, you know, it was, uh, <laughs> ugly crying. It was pretty, yeah. Uh, already, yeah, certainly just you talking about it. I was getting a little emotional. And, uh, so yeah, that was a really fun, surprise i think even the mushers that don't maybe have the time or just the bandwidth to read that stuff uh out on the trail i think they still do read it like after the race so um means a lot means a lot i think for everybody and there might be like a couple people that are like i don't need no car i'm pretty sure everybody in in the race is thankful to get some get some love and support out there so uh yeah do it if you can and it's free right i mean it's pretty yeah. good pretty good little system yeah i mean it was my experience was as easy as calling the number that was on that post and um you will get a different person each time i remember that i know that when i did it i spoke to a like it sounded like it was an older woman and uh, I was like, yeah, so I, I'd like to send my brother, Sean Underwood. And she was like, oh, you're Sean Underwood's brother? And I was like, you know, like you got thrown in last minute. So I'm like, how, I, you know, like, how do you, how do they even know you? And they're like, oh, man, that, and just like, just instantly already, I was just like, oh, man, this is awesome. And uh, so I had like a very uh i don't know like 10 minute conversation with this woman and then i um i i sent my le- my message and she wrote it down and you know then you got it I'm somewhere along the way i'm betting with rookies it means maybe a little more than you know if imagine doing this race like 10 times and you like drop bags aren't even stressful at that point you're just kind of like right. yeah i know the drill or you know, you just been through it a lot and it's like, 
maybe maybe they maybe that this is kind of corny those kind of guys and girls but yeah i mean i bet you being out here for the first time on the trail and getting getting these little cards are is nice nice gesture at the very very least i'm thinking about doing some some randoms this year just like just like uh maybe someone we've had on as a guest or maybe someone like i could plant a seed for to get on afterwards be like hey man you're doing great. I can't wait to talk to you <laughs> on the pod. <laughs> yeah, remember all your stories. Uh, we'll we'll see. We'll here. see. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm just blowing smoke up my ass. But uh, anyways, so yeah, that was that was what we want to talk about in the intro before we uh, kind of talk a little bit about our guest for this episode, and that is Mott Peterson. And we had a good time recording with him. Super nice guy. His his story is is uh you know the guy is dedicated to the sport and the passion is is real. I mean, as is the case with everyone we have on, but this guy is traveling to the Iditarod year in and year out, all the way from freaking uh Sweden Sweden, and it's just like that there's a lot of intricacies that are involved with coming to Alaska year in and year out. And, you know, he started in 14 coming over and I think he probably would have done consecutive until now if it weren't for COVID. And we kind of talked about that. So, um, you know, I was super interested to see, just listen to him talk about that travel process, but, yeah, it just uh the guy is dedicated. He's got two kennels. He's traveling across uh the country for this race. One thing we didn't talk about, but in looking for some pictures for him, he, I think he's got four or five kids. I mean, the guy like how does he sleep? You know? <laughs> well, he said he's very good at sleep deprivation. And uh is it not as faced by it as most might be. I think he's you know, he also was uh, told us that he's not necessarily out there to, you know, but do everything he can to get as far as high up in the race as possible. Like he's finished in the money, but, you know, I don't think he's really expecting a top 10 finish, but he might, that might end up, this could be a good year to get in the top 10 for him, but that's not like his expectation or goal. It's just to have a happy, healthy looking dog team. And, you know, I think that's every musher's goal, but you can just see by his resume, he's been like a, a good, like just solid finishes, middle of the pack. And uh, and then he's got an amazing thing going up above the Arctic Circle. And he's literally like 200 plus kilometers above the Arctic Circle, dude. It's crazy. Uh, and he's so he's he said he has snow on the ground 11 months a year. Yeah. That's crazy. Uh, so his dogs are he's, his dogs are running most of the year. I think they take a spring break and a fall break, but they're you know it just means that he's dealing with probably that. What did he say? He said something about how he like his dogs just have like tough feet because they're just always running. Yeah, and he's like oftentimes when other people are putting booties on, he's not, and his dogs have impeccable feet. You know, even sometimes not going on those runs with with booties and some obviously he's going to be wearing some booties out on the trail but his he was he was saying yeah his dogs have 
have some hardy feet and he's bred, you know, Alaskan dogs with some of the Scandinavian lines. And he's kind of got a diverse group of dogs and, uh, and, and some incredible experience. And he's been a mainstay in, in this race for better part of 10 years or 15 years. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was cool to talk to him. I, I never really had, I, we had, we met like in 2016 maybe, and then, or 17 and I haven't really talked to him much and it was a brief encounter. And so it was really cool to sit down with him a little bit. We have a, a few, a, a number of mutual friends and he was just talking about the philanthropic side of like the race and the community and how he comes here two months early and he gets, he's got his buddy Linwood Feeler that's, uh, you know, a top 10, I did or I'd retired musher. Um, he, he is getting to stay at his place. And then when those kinds of mushers come up to Sweden, he has an open door policy, you know, come and stay at the house for a night or two and maybe, uh, you know, check things out and I'll show you around. And, and so it's cool to see kind of this gap that's been bridged between the mushing scene in Alaska and North America and, and then going in, bleeding into Norway and, and, uh, Sweden. And so, uh, cool to have, you know, representation from across the, across the pond in the, in the race and on the podcast. Yeah. You know, the one thing that kind of stood out to me that was apparent was that he's clearly well-respected and liked among mushers. Um, I'm sure back home, but in, in Alaska, you know, he, he comes over and, and he's able to like hang out with his friend, not hang out, but he's able to live where his friends are. And like people put him up and put up his dog team. And I was just, cause that was one thing that I was like, man, how does he do this? Like, I guess he has to like rent space every time he comes here or whatever, but no, he's got these relationships with folks and um, that stood out to me. And then like you were saying, just his open door policy of like, come to my kennel and check it out. I don't think he's like extending that policy to like everybody, you know, like don't just show up to his kennel maybe. No, no, but, but he, his doors are open is what he was saying. And, you know, I thought that that was, you know, just trying to bridge that gap. You know, I think there's a vision that he has where, the Alaska mushing scene, the United States mushing scene is more unified with things on a global level. And, um, so just, it was a great, great, um, a great dog, man. And, um, you know, it was nice to get to know him and, you know, I hope you guys enjoy this episode. All righty, folks. Welcome back to the Mushing Alaska podcast. We've got our next guest. He's a seven-time Iditarod finisher. He's coming into his eighth Iditarod. Stand by for the pronunciation. (laughs) Yes. Welcome on to... (laughs) I should have asked again before. You didn't do it, dude. You should have. I didn't. I didn't. Sean, you're going to fill me in. Welcome into the podcast. Sean, fill me in with the name. How do you say it? It's you, dude. It's all you. Mots Peterson? Ah, awesome. That's that's correct. Thank you for having me. All right. Nice. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, yeah. So welcome on. And um, 
you know, you and I had a chance to kind of talk a little bit before, before we pressed record and, um, you know, welcome over here. You've been what for two months now, a little under two months. Yeah. Thank you. I've been back and forward. I've been, um, you know, with my logistic coming in with the dog from Sweden, we have to fly, fly it more times. So I've been over one time in January together with my Norwegian friend Ebbe. And then we put up, uh, we took the dogs here for the Casco, Casco 300, which he ran. So which was a good, like he did a, I did a qualifier and then I went home again and then bring more dogs. Um, and I come here to another state at Linwood Fielder's Kennel in Willow. So I train from here now with my, with my core and with my team. That's awesome. Uh, I saw, yeah, I saw Eba in the, that was in the Cusco. So are y'all related? No, no, we're not related. He's not even Swedish. He's Danish. Oh, <laughs> but he has also I thought I saw the same last name, right? Winstrup Peterson, and he has uh, two, two last names, yeah. No, no, we are not. We are not. We're just uh, friends and buddies, and uh, I know we're going over here, and we have a chat, and I told like, yeah, if you... If you go over and you pay your own flight ticket and you bring my dogs, then you can use them in Casco. So we we took uh, yeah, the core from from my leaders and so on, and he he ran the Casco and he did really well. You know, there was a qualifier for him. It's a top race. I'm I'm very pleased with that. So so he did a good good work with the dogs. Awesome. Yeah, I, that's so funny because I saw the last name and I was like, that's got to be like Mats's, you know, cousin or something. And sure enough, it was actually like your friend. What like it's kind of that's kind of yeah. it's it'll be easier to remember that he's working with you and and one of your friends. But um, you know, before I ask you more about this winter, I think uh, you know something that every musher gets asked all the time, and and I'm curious what your story is. Just how you you know you grew up in Sweden. I don't know anything about that zone region of the world and I, I know there's a mushing scene up there and Norway gets a lot of uh you know we hear a lot about Norwegian mushing scene for sure but well you know how did you get into the sled dog life yeah thank you I'm just uh my grandfather had dogs so I was always uh, working with dogs like he had got uh, not sled dogs but we worked in with taking care of dogs and homeless dogs and so on and he was my biggest idol when I when I grow up, my, my grandfather, so I helped them every summer with the dogs and so on. And I told I'm going to get get dogs when I grown up, get more of my own dogs and so on. So 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 what happened is like I work in ambulance nurse and uh, firefighter and it was a really good thing to do that. And same time um, start with dogs because we have good shifts to work and I play ice hockey also. So I have lots of things going on. Like I saw I was goalie, goalkeeper. So ah. I mean, to to the in the mushing world because I, I really like wildlife and, and everything around that. So I've been counting wild animals in the mountains and going out with dogs. It's what was my more or less my, my passion, you know. So, and then come into it more and run a couple of these uh, Norwegian Finnmarks Löpet and those races and, and so on. So and got hooked, got hooked and so on. And then in 2002, I think it was the first time I went over to Alaska and, and met uh, up to Jeff King in Denali and uh, I have a handler that worked for me that come to his place. And so we got connected and so on and asked if I, I could come back and buy one dog one day. And I, he told me, sure, come come back here and so on. And I, I got a super good female, M. Shasta, from him then and was a leader, a bitchy small leader, a bit like Jeff's dogs are. <laughs> but yeah, so it was, 
that was the first time con- connection with Alaska. But I live in North Sweden in, in a place called Kiruna. And we are actually really famous to be like a bit of a mushroom mecca in North Europe. Super good trails, like inland, a little bit like Fairbanks area. We are 220 kilometers above the polar circle. So it's high up wow. you know, in cold weather and so on. So, so, I'm, I'm, so we have a really good, good spot for doing what we love to do. Man, that is really far north. I always like that was something I learned recently. My <clears throat> cousin would spend some time in uh uh going to school in Norway. And it's like the southernmost part of Norway is like at at the a similar latitude or maybe even farther north than Fairbanks. And and yeah, you know, northern Sweden being two hundred plus kilometers north of the Arctic Circle. So that's gotta be a quite the quite the winter experience up there with the darkness um and and your so your income has been firefighting and that gives you right that's what you said yeah that's what i started out more like ambulance nurse when i went from firefighter to ambulance nurse and i place ice hockey but then i stopped with that a couple of years ago and only run my own business so i run my tour business up in sweden now so we have like one wilderness canal off the grid that we run tours from four day, eight day tours there. And then we have a, a canal close to Kiruna. So that's uh, we're running shorter tours and a bit to have my race dogs there also. And so on. So I, we are a really good, good area for, for doing what we love to do. But we also have very much uh, Aurora, like in order lights in that area. So we got guests coming there and we can show them, show them the area and show them the dogs and so on. What I like to do. Uh, I really like to educate people who come to us and showing that how well we take care of the dogs, how much they important for us. And so everybody who come to us, they come home to our home. They come home to our kennel and can see the dogs or our family where we live and so on, which is something I, I like to show and I like to to get people more involved and in understanding what we do. You know, I'm curious about is is your uh is the weather in, in Karuna is it similar to Alaska? Like, is is it longer of a winter or is it the seasons kind of similar or what? No, it's long. We have a little longer. I think more like you see, like more like north slopes around there, above Fairbanks area. So we're running dogs all April and beginning May in the mountains close to us and so on. So we have pretty we have a long long season, which is very good. And my my dogs is running at least 11 months per year of my, my, my dogs running. So we don't have an off season in that we, only a couple of weeks in the summer when it's too warm, but it's, it's not so much, you know, and then we train all May and up in June also. So, so, so we are almost a year round thing with the dogs. So we don't, and I believe in that very much to prevent injuries on dogs and so on. So they're really well prepared and they're running most of the years and so on. So, so and I, I like that concept. Yeah, who are we talking with, Brendan? That they said that their dogs only take off three weeks in the spring and three weeks in the fall. I don't remember who it was, but yeah, there's something to be said for just like your dogs are always moving, always strong, and obviously you have some downtime. But um, you know, yeah, that 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 that's there's something to be said for that. You know, you just don't have like some of those issues and injuries, and you know, you might have your dogs might have tougher feet and 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 just less you know you, they're just tougher overall it's you know being able to run all year they never are not in shape you know hey it's, it's funny that you imagine the feeds because I, I see the difference you know 
just with the feet, I love that my dog standing on gravel, you're standing on stones year around almost. And then of course there's snow in the winter, but they got tough feet. They build up feet. They're running with the like many months of the year and so on. So when I come here, I didn't have booties on on my dogs, and everybody around is, oh, you don't have booties on the dogs. I said, no, we we don't run normally. We so much home with booties, you know, even on the longer training and so on. Only when it's super cold. When it's super cold, I use booties on the dog. But I think it's so, also a way for me to build up the dogs really good. Good feeds, uh, working with the feeds, give them, of course, good nutrition, fish, good food, and so on. But we are not using as far as close uh, booties as you are here in, in Alaska, in, in my kennel, at least. That is such a, what an asset, man. I mean, like, <laughs> dude, I, I mean, I can't tell you how, I mean, you know, anyone in the mushroom community knows what it's like to just deal with foot problems. It's just such a, such a pain in the ass. It's so nice to have like just bulletproof feet. You know, I've had dog teams that I've worked I've been, with. I've that. been in other places also. I've been in Cantwell. I've been in Mike Santos' place. I've been up there, really beautiful area, and they use booties, incredible much booties on the because they're running on the only highway and they're on that. So that was very tough for the feet. So I understand mm -hmm. that. Maybe it will be the same here. But I also know that there are some different in the conditions here. Uh, come where I come from and here also with the snow conditions, warm and cold and stuff like that. So we doesn't really have an issue like you have sometimes with the chicken legs, if you know what I mean, and so on with the oh, yeah. surface and so on. We, I don't, there's barely anybody if you see in Scandinavia who use leggings for the dogs, for example. Brennan, what do you know about chicken legs? <laughs> chicken legs. Um, I, I, are we talking about? I don't. I don't know where you're going here. Well, uh, oh, that's what he just said. He said chicken legs. I was just wondering if you knew about chicken legs yet. Um, barbecue. Just, <laughs> just uh, go ahead and fill me in, so I don't look completely like an idiot here. Well, <laughs> my understanding of what chicken legs are, Mats can back me up, maybe. But is uh, you know, when you're running in certain snow conditions, the snow kicks up onto the dogs uh, right above their wrist and the back, like in the back, like kind of where they're like a human calf might be or your forearm. It's essentially your forearm. So in the front legs, their forearm, the snow will ball up onto their fur. It'll, it'll stick to the fur on their, like on their right forearm. Here. Yep. Right there. And then the weight of the snow will pull the hairs out of their leg. And you have just like some bare, skin that shows up and then that becomes now it doesn't have the insulation it's got the ex cold exposure it can scab up a little bit so that's why you might see some dogs with leggings maybe they it, it, all it takes is for the fur to get pulled off and then it's not gonna it takes a long time to grow back and so once it's exposed and it's below zero you gotta have at least protection from the wind and even if there isn't any wind you're running nine miles an hour so there's nine mile an hour wind you know, yeah, well, so many prevent it, you know, they use it to prevent it if they have some problem with before, of course, and so on. So they, they use it more, you know, because it can be an issue, you know, when they're losing all the hair from 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 that and it doesn't really get back it fast, you know, so, so that that's chicken leg. Correct. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So like, yeah. And, and it's like hot chicken leg because like it'll be the skin can be like pink, like a chicken's leg or whatever, you know, that's, that's my my understanding. But yeah. Sometimes, thank you, yeah, I thank mean, like, you. I appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> well, it's like Jeff, you know, Jeff's got some like houndy dogs, and and the more houndiness you got in your huskies, the less 
like there's there's the, uh, what's the upside of a houndy dogs the upside is they're faster maybe they in some ways may you know they're sprintier they have maybe there's some extra athleticism you know it's it's a little ambiguous there's some arguments to be made one way or the other but they are certainly less less uh robust to the cold the more hound is in your your team and um so like i remember zig who is like you know the matriarch of his kennel for you know 2010 to 2017 or whatever she would she was uh, decked out and she looked like kevin durant out there she was you know she had leggings on and you know it's like uh she had all the gear on and she was fine she did fine but that's what happens like and and jeff would always argue would you rather have a dog with a short coat and then put an insulated jacket on the dog and put on the extra gear and have the dog be fine in the cold, relatively fine in the minus 30? Or would you rather have the big fluffy dog who you can't really, you know, shave their fur off? You could, but you're not. And then you're running at 30 degrees and they're kind of hot, right? So that was what his, it's good. It's an, it can be an, there's upsides and downsides to it is my point. Right on, man. Anyway, so back to Mots. Sorry for talking. Um, so you have an employee who's my friend, Nathan, I think, right? Yeah, awesome. I have actually two Nathans this year. I'm super. They're not deployed. They're from U.S., but they're there and, and uh, helping mm. us out, running dogs and so on. So they're not uh, in, in that way. But super, I'm really pleased with the two Nathans I got. You know, one has been in Jeff's channel and one has been in Sivis channel. So I'm super happy with those guys. They do great work. So I'm, I'm very we're, we're lucky to have them them this year yeah awesome yeah i hope to i i yeah i hope to see nathan i think he, i heard he was coming coming uh coming this way soon but um so you've been here for two months you're training he out of, or, maybe stayed out so much swedish ladies what's That's that probably so much swedish ladies ah Problem, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's falling in love over there huh yeah <laughs> Hey, before uh, we transition into the season, my question that I wanted to ask in regards to the mushing scene there in Sweden, um, and as it relates to you, is like, what other events do you target on uh, a yearly basis um, outside? I mean, you've done this stretch with Iditarod. Um, I know that, what, the two that you, you ran six, seven in a row, and then you had two where you missed, but that was COVID. So... Um, but you know, I'm just curious what other uh, local races, either in Sweden or in the area, that you like to target on a yearly basis as well. Yeah, got it. Uh, I done Finnmark Löpet, Norwegian's longest race, and Finnmark Löpet. Those races ten years before I come to Edithrod. So I done all these races in Scandinavia, more or less before. And then when I started focus on Edithrod, it's like then we coming over in January, and it's not so much. Uh, races before we come over like here and so on so so what i've done is a couple of denali doubles we've done we signed up for some casco testamina 200 those st stuff like here so when i come over here i like to do one race this year we did the casco before i did or at least one two three hundred miles race before i did what we do and the home in sweden we also when we come home we're probably going to do one one race we have the week we come home called tobacco trail and stuff like that so so we're doing some races try to do both but when you're leaving already in january here it's not so many races going on in scandinavia in january and not so many races 
here. So what I like to focus the years I'm, I'm doing the races in Alaska to focus to be here and do two or three races in Alaska that year, for example. Yeah. But we put a lot of training to the dogs. So we do, for me, it's not only about the races. Like we, we need, we train, we put lots of miles to the dogs. We camping. I have my solid dogs now. It's only one dog with three years. The rest are older. So I don't really need them to learn to camping anymore. Something like that. They, they really know that deal, you know. So they're really behaved and calm, and which I like uh, my dogs to be when we come into a checkpoint and resting good and stuff like that. So. So, so basically, I've done all these races before. I started with this and have the two COVID years off. So that that's my last twenty years. Right, and uh, again, the other thing I was curious about is your setup back home. So, you know, the intention was to bring over sixteen dogs. You were explaining to me before we recorded that uh, some of the some of the travel uh, laws changed that prevented that. But back home, I'm just curious how like. I think I was listening to your podcast with Robert Forto. I think I understand that you have two different kennels or two different locations. Is that right? Yeah, that's pretty new for me. I have wilderness kennel, which I love to be at really nice. There's off the grid. So we have we have some dogs there and doing longer tours, mostly like the guest comes for a two day tours. But we also there ourselves, me and my wife and my family all summer and autumn and train the dogs. So it's a really cool, cool place just in the middle of nowhere. I got a chance to to get that. And then I have my base home in, in Kirna, also where my, my kids go in school and so on. So it's closer access for them to to go to school and, and so on. So we're a little bit split up in that way, but I really enjoy the new place. I think it's a beautiful area and it's just like in the middle of nowhere. So I'm, that's something we like to be with the dogs and do preparation for the race and, and that. So I'm, I'm really pleased with that. And you you have how many dogs though? We got around 50 per camel, 50 per camel. It sounds maybe 100, 100, 100 plus, but it sounds much. But then it's also young dogs also, and then puppies. And then you have like, if you're going out with guests, you need a couple of dogs for small teams. Like you go directly 40 dogs, a couple of guests driving and so on. So I'm, I've never been a super fan to have much dogs like in myself in that way. But around 50, 60 per camel is really that you can work out really fine. And then I leave here with some dogs also. So, so and I'm really interesting in bloodlines. I'm really interesting in in bloodlines in in dogs and mixing over. So I've been that's been one of my things, you know, being here. I was 2010. I had the chance to buy four of Jeff's dogs in Nome me and Pete Kaiser and Richie Deal when he finished and Jeff actually told me then give me a call and you can get some of the best dogs I'm really pleased with that so so what I did then then I went over to Scandinavia with the dogs and we we bred them with with Norwegian bloodlines and Swedish bloodlines and we got a really good mix I went to the best kennels there and I took two puppies from every breeding we did so I got a really good mix there with good genetics good leaders from Jeff together with some tough dogs from from Norway and Sweden so so that's actually how I built up my race kennel the last years and and then I went over back here again 2014 and did my first crazy race in Aditro with no snow we stayed at Jake Berkowitz kennel and Alex Buto were there also that yeah. year we had fun together we had to travel every day to train which was my rookie year that year so and then from there on, I got some from dogs from Jake and with John Baker bloodlines, Paul Gebbard bloodlines, Reddington bloodlines. I really have always had the really passion to to get in those type of bloodlines into to Scandinavia and so on. But we also learn much during the way how we to breeding and stuff like that. So, so it's been really, really a passion for me to 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 work with that. 
Man, this is I got so many questions. Firstly, <laughs> <laughs> number number one, uh, could, the Fenmark the Fenmark slope it I can't pronounce right, but you've pronounced it beautifully. It was so sick when you said it. But uh, you know, can you compare and contrast those two major Norwegian races? You know, they're uh, like what, like six hundred miles and two hundred miles or something, and. Uh, you know, you've run the Iditarod a number of times, you've run those a number of times. You have an, you know, expertise in both events and how they might be similar and different. And I'm just curious on your take on that. Yeah, this is really interesting because uh, what I told to people who come over from from Alaska to do Finnmark, for example, that race and so on, I told them to the best way if you're going to do good in the race, like Dallas and those, you have to be there and prepare. You have to be there and prepare on the trails and what you're going to do which he actually didn't do before he ran over first time. It was too short time there because I told him the most important thing, the difference between, uh, between Alaska and Norway and so on is, of course, 100% the trails and 100% uh, condition, the snow condition, different type of snow and the area where you're running and so on. So all these things you put together, it's not like even if one race is 1,000 miles and one race is shorter, 600 miles, it's, it's totally different races, different type of strategy you need to do in this, those races. And, and uh, I, I really know it's from experience myself also that uh, spending time with the dogs, even if you, from example, I take Dallas as an example because he's been there two times, that uh, coming over from here with maybe pretty good conditions, generally like hard packed trails and coming to Norway with, with looser conditions and looser snow and in general and so on. There's different parts of the, the dog body you use and different parts. So I, if you want to do well and come over from Alaska, it's not like you have the best team in the world to be here and then it's a successful, successful in, in Norway. It's not like that. You have to prepare. You have to be there. It was at least three months before to really settle into the area and do the race. So, and of course, there is different. You have road system, you have handlers helping and so on. So, so that's one of the biggest points where I love to be in Alaska and I love to be on myself with my team and no, no help. I don't bring a cell phone. I don't have anything on the trail. It's just me and the dogs for those days. And this is something I love. And this is something I really hope Alaska will stick to and have the races like this. You, you and the dogs that do the journey, you know, do it together with lots of people helping or big teams or handlers and so on. Because for me, it's get, then it's get, in different levels you know because when you're out there with the team it's you and the dogs and that's something i love to to be yeah it is it's lonesome out there there's you don't see you don't see your your wife and kids out there on the i did a ride trail maybe you do some people do you know pete pete and richie maybe they got they got to see their family at a couple of checkpoints but yeah it's expensive and it's tricky and uh and that's interesting though um you know dallas is after i feel like i don't know if we ever talked about this brennan but that he's after like the triple crown, the coveted triple crown has never been done by any musher ever. The Iditarod champion, the Yukon Quest 1000 champion, and the Fenmark Slopit. Yeah, but we imagine that we can do that. We can get the chance to people to do it, to fly back and forward. Wouldn't that be a dream? I've talked about so many years now that we... We should really hang up with like, uh, because it takes a lot of time for me to come over here, but I do it because I have passion for the sport, a passion for what I, I love to do. So that's my main thing, you know? So it's not like a, that I think I'm gonna win. I did it every year. That's why I come over. It's more like I love, I love to be around there. I love the passion. I love to do as good as I can with my team of dogs and their capacity and my capacity to do it. So 
But having a circle that we do two races in Alaska and two in Scandinavia every year, I think that would, for the sport, it would be so helpful, you know, and for for people to see uh, also in Scandinavia, to so see these names coming over and, and participate in all races there and so on. But the biggest challenge to do that, I think, uh, Money-wise, of course, in, in in Scandinavia, you don't have so much prize money. But I think if you do something like that, maybe you can push up the prize money a little bit. But also, the biggest challenge is the flights over. And uh, But if you are four or five teams, if you then can have a, a flight, like if you chair on a flight over together or something like that, then cooperate and five teams from, from Norway, Sweden can come over here and so on. I think that would be amazing for the sport. And I... I talked about many years, and I really hope we can we can get together, or everybody, and, and start thinking about it to make it happen. Because it's in all sports. I've grown up in hockey myself. I've been traveling around the world with hockey and so on. And same thing there. You know, you you, you see different areas, you meet different people, and so on. So I'm, I think that will be the right decision for our sport to grow and be better, and so on. And also about it's been so much better the last years about the animal about the welfare for the dogs how we take care of dogs everything like that you know that's something we, we're working on every year and we all get better on it and we get better as a team together with the vets and with the with the with the races and everything like that so i think we we are much more professional now than, than we have been ever before i remember dallas mentioning that that the, he was really impressed with just the organization of the norwegian race and and the you know the vet regulations and how they go about um you know with the that the the body scores and and that's something that's like new to Iditarod in the last few years and uh yeah he was he was impressed by that so yeah it'd be cool to go up there sometime for for me I'm excited about that idea and and that'd be that's that'd be so cool to be able to take these Iditarod teams that are fresh and they're they're or they're trained up you know and they they could take a few days off and then go and run another event you know um that I love that idea. So you know, uh, I know also it's lots of interest from both sides, and I know yeah. it's interesting. But you just have to keep it together and make the flights possible and stuff like that, you know. But I know it's a lots of passion in the world. I know it's lots of people and much as from over here that really want to come over to see how it is to to be in Scandinavia and racing there also. And so the flight, the flying, Brennan, cut me off if you want. But my question is, go ahead. I was just saying that the flying is my was my already I had that queued up like 15 minutes ago. Flying with 14 to 20 dogs or whatever it is all across, you know, a long way from Sweden to Alaska, which actually might like if you could do a direct flight, like you know, just go right over the North Pole, right? You know, just up right on over. But um, how it like I've I've flown from with dogs from you know, Anchorage or Fairbanks to Bethel. And that was pretty chill. Uh, you know, we had all the dogs on an air, essentially an air cargo flight, you know, in their kennels secured there. It's an hour and a half. It's like, no problem. Um, but going that distance with that many dogs, you know, this is it like you, I've heard people tell me, yeah, we have to find a bunch of friends and they can all fly with two dogs each or three dogs each or, you know, but I feel like I've heard people flying with their whole team. It's like, well, break it down, break it down. And the the thing what I'm doing is I, I fly with four dogs per flight. I bring over four dogs per flight, which is uh, working fine. Two times myself, one time a friend and so on. And then my 
some from family coming. So it works that way. And it's, of course, the cheapest way you can do it. So so that's why I do it in a good way. I, I don't have a team around me. I'm, I'm alone. Like I'm a family home, but I, I'm doing this, you know, working hard. I'm doing food drops myself. I've been here myself and training dogs myself, everything like that. So there's no big team around me when I'm here. So I, I do it because of the passion and so on. So it's like not the team Sweden, team Norway in that way it was before. So so that's absolutely the cheapest way. But now the flights, what is was complicated for me this year, they, they, re, they reduce it to two, two dogs per flight. And then it's totally mm. up to allow four dogs. Then it's totally different. But, and also we fly, one year we've been flying from from Germany direct flight over here, and so with oh. with three four teams with Norwegian it was 2015 16 or maybe 18 90 teams on the start line that year. So so we also done that and that works for sure if you have good uh, communication and if you are three or four big teams that that share on the costs then it works. But you have to cooperate then, which sometimes can be the problem. But you have to if you want to do it you have to cooperate and then. Flying from Iraq and, for example, Anchorage to to Reykjavik in Iceland or to to Sweden or one midland is just like that's that's no problem. And I can say the dogs we have, I mean, all the husky we have, they are probably the best dogs in the world to travel. They're super calm. They're super used to travel. They stay in sky kennels normally also when they go somewhere and like the battle guides and those guys you know, they they used to to go in in uh, in small crates and, and so on so it's there's nothing new for them when i take out my dogs in seattle when i'm flying here or something like that they just oh, say fine we're going to take a pee and then go inside again so they have no problem with that so that's actually they're very calm and, and easy to travel with that's yeah i, I was i would figured that that they, yeah you know maybe getting those young dogs on the flight the first time there's a little bit of little stress but not a big deal and then yeah you got seasoned veterans now they're you close the crate they look at you like hey can i get a couple of mimosas for the flight does that sound good um <laughs> but that's and, and the logistical aspect of the, i mean like you come here to alaska like the first time like you find a connection or two and now now you're like now you've made a, you got a whole family here so you guys like an incredible community you're like linwood is got you put up at his place and and you know getting together your drop bags you got them you showed up here in january you know i'm assuming you got all your supplies here in alaska yeah, correct. for the yeah. drop bags yeah. so it's something very important you say sean i say when i was here the first time i spent the summer here to just visiting people and travel around kennels and i was interested in bloodlines and so on so uh I was here 30 days, I spent 25 nights in different kennels, and I was welcome to every place I went into. Because people were curious and want to know about Scandinavia, and I'm maybe not like a really threat in that way, considering to, to racing and something like that. So, so it gave me so much of the people around here, the mushers and everything like that, opened the doors for me. and I talking about dogs, talking about Sweden, Norway, Scandinavia, and so on. So so, so that's how I started to, to come around here. I think you have to be really humble to meet up people and friends first and then go to the idea that you want to do the race and so on. So it's been super important for me and super good for me to stay at Ray Reddington's place. I've been there last two years ago. I was staying there all the time before the race. I know Paul Gebbart very well before, Dean Osmar. 
good friend of me and, and Jeff, a good friend of me. And I get to know Martin Boozer. All these guys, you know, are traveling around. I spent two years at Mike Santos Canyon in Campwell. I've been up the Fairbanks area. And all this make me to see the inside of the sport, which I like really much and also have passion for. Yeah, that's one thing, uh, you know, like you, you said you're doing this by yourself and and you are, but like the relationships that you've built uh, over the years of coming to Alaska almost make it a little bit easier to pull this off all, all by yourself. You know, like I, I'm I'm envisioning how the hell you pulled it off for your rookie run. You know, it's just like uh your first time doing the race is is uh that in itself is a thing and then you know doing it while you're traveling back and forth i'm just uh your dedication to the sport and to the iditarod itself is something that really is apparent to me at least yeah that, that's the key and you're totally correct i do it alone but i do it also with friends here so i have connections here and I can call a friend and ask about a dog trailer or something like that that I need, or if do you have an extra dog house for me or whatever, you know, and I, I always get, get somebody to help me out. So absolutely. So it's like not the one man show in that way. So I have lots of good friends uh, over here in Alaska that I'm really thankful. I used to stay a couple of weeks at a place here at Limbo's Kennel or last time in Reddington's Kennel. I'm, I'm just so blessed to have that opportunity. And, and like, I mean, your, you were talking about your travel issues, like you were intending on, you know, taking four trips total or not you, but a total of four people or four trips with four dogs. And that gets you your 16 here. Right. And then that didn't work out. But again, because of the relationships you had, you're able to kind of like piece together the rest of, of your team. And uh, that to me is, is freaking. You know, like, again, it, it's a testament to you, I think, and in, in, in the, the type of person that you are. I mean, uh, you know, I, I don't feel like too many people want to just like hand over their dogs to someone that they may not know or that doesn't live near them or, you know, like, so you clearly have a reputation that speaks for itself, you know. And the mushing community, too. Like, you know, Matt's, Matt's is coming out, coming down here, up here, over here, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and he's like, mushroom community's like, what's up, dude? You coming from Sweden? And he, they're like, he's like, yeah, I come from Sweden. I got a bunch of dogs. I want to run the idea out. They're like, oh, that's awesome. Let's do it. How can we help? I got an extra dog trailer. Here's six <laughs> dog houses. You need to use those. We're not using them. And next thing you know, you know, you make these things happen. And, and it's just like, everybody wants everybody to be successful, you know? And and it's like that's what's that's why that's why we're here. That's why Brennan and I are doing this thing. It's the people, the dogs, everybody together. It's a special, it's a special thing. Special no, thing. it is. It is. I love it, and it absolutely is. I can can tell you that I've been in different sports and different attitudes also. So I know this machine world is a bit special. You know that. But I also say that I'm inviting all these guys that been here to my place also to live with me and stay with me in Kiruna. 
I have Reddington's with me, all the families are staying at home in Sweden. Brand says has been there. Ailey Circa, Alan Moore has been in my place. Dallas and Mitch has been in my place. You know, so they come over. We invite them to come over and see the area and traveling around and see different canals there in Norway and meet different cool cool peoples and places and talk about dogs. And, and so so it's a give, give thing that I really also want to give back to people that I can I'm, I'm in Sweden, I'm in Norway, I can show you the places there to come around and just visit things like crash with my in my place a couple of nights and traveling around and so on. Which I, and that's, that door is always open because that door I got open from, from you guys in Alaska and over here. So that's super important for me to tell it. I'm, everybody who's wondering about coming over, just give a shot to me and I, I'll help you out. Brandon, you Andy, let's go to Sweden. Dude, I've literally like... <laughs> I'm I'm over here lost in this like idea of just like being there and uh yeah no uh I'm like man how how can how can our podcast somehow fund us getting to all over the world and traveling in these amazing different kennels and seeing these amazing places all over the world <laughs> oh man that is uh yeah I, I just you know the it, it's like you you're building like this uh sense of uh camaraderie within the mushing community that you're just your doors are open um and uh it sounds like i, I don't i don't know it as well as Sean does but it sounds like not all the mushers are like that you know and so i think that that is kind of uh i don't know i just think that it's kind of in I love I love that you just have your doors open is kind of what I'm trying to say. And, um, you know. But I also think people have been also very interested in what we do in Scandinavia. Also, when I come over here, I always got the questions, you know, people asking, especially now, maybe more people are updated. But if I, I was already here 15 years ago and I starting to travel here and people really was interesting what happened in Scandinavia and so on and. Every bar you come to, somebody tell, oh, I have a relative, I have my cousins here from Sweden or Norway or whatever, you know, Vikings or whatever, you know. So it's always those things, you know. So I, I think it was always type of interesting also to know what we did over there. And so it was, yeah, it was both sides, I think. So what is, all right, we're going to shift a little bit. So you have the whole norwegian norwegian scandinavian swedish danish now we got milla is danish i think uh so you know very very there has been represented for many years the scandinavian region in the iditarod you've got like they the i have only been around the scene i believe i met you like my first winter in denali and i like you know, I was just meeting everybody. So I was yeah. like, you know, this is like another, I, I didn't know anyone anywhere. So, you know, I, I was like, okay, that's a nice, that seems like a nice guy. He was nice to talk to me. Okay, cool. He's staying here for a couple of minutes. Cool. You know, and then, and then, and then you were gone. And now here we are talking. It's been like seven years. This is awesome. But, you know, you have like Robert Sorley who won the Iditarod. And there was that whole time where they had this team, this super team is my understanding from what I've been told, not through experience, that this super team was alternated between Sorley and someone else. I can't remember. And I'm just curious, like, you, like, were you following that when that was how, like 2004 or something? And, you know, and then you got, and then and the, and the whole 
process from you know then and before then and on to Thomas Werner winning the 2020 race, you know, like how, what's like the vibe up there with what's you know with with that whole scene and that whole process, you know? Yeah, I follow all the way. I, I follow with the team Norway, the call with Bjorn Andersen, Chetil Bakken, and, and Robert Sorley. I follow them, of course. What were the three? Were those Sorley and, and who? Anderson. It was uh, there were Bjorn Andersen and Chetil Bakken. And then you, they always told us was one really like the planner of everything was Chetil Bakken and so on. And, and Robert was the one who was absolutely best on the sled and so on. But they did lots of training together and and so on. So, so absolutely, they were a top team. But they also changed a little bit in the way also people saw about kennels because they work more like with smaller kennels. We talked about 30, 40 dogs. Back in the days, they thought like with the swingley times and everybody there thought you need to have 200 dogs, you need to have a big kennel to win a Dieter and something like that. So they changed also a little bit the way of seeing it that you don't need a really super big kennel to win a Dieter. You need to just take care of every dog and individual really much and, and work with that instead. So I think that was one of the biggest changes, I think, because... And also nowadays, it's much more expensive with dog food and people have lesser dogs. It's not like the big kennels as it was before and in the same way. And, so on. and that was like four or five top names every year there for Alaska, for the editor, maybe for 10, 15 years, you can say this. Popped out on the bit. But I absolutely follow everything like that and big inspiration. And my biggest inspiration is a guy called Sven Engholm, actually, back from, from Norway also. He won the Finnmark Lep at uh, 15 times, and he ran Aditor first year before. 15 times? And 15? Before, and so on. So he was my... That was the guy I started up with dogs with. To, to whoa, whoa, whoa. Dogs, yeah. Okay, Finnmark, Finnmark Slope it is the 600-mile race, right? Yeah. He won it 15 times? Uh, he was top every year in the beginning of the years and so on. He, he was the, like the, the first guy. And then Robert more or less took, took over that. And and Robert is an amazing guy, really top athlete. He just won the famous race home in Norway again, which is impressive of, I don't know, 60 plus years old and was super well-trained and super good with the dogs. So Robert is still around and so on. So, so but I know that lots of people ask me every year, they want to come over here and they want to come over and, and race here in Alaska also. I know that. So we have one very good musher from Sweden now, also Peter Karlsson and, and two or three very good from Norway. So really hope to take the chance to come over here and, and, and see this. Hmm. That is that is insane. The, the the 15. How long has that race been going on? Oh yes. Yeah. 80s, since the 80s, I guess. Yeah. I, don't, I think not, 81. 80, okay. Wow. He literally won like 40% of the races. That's crazy. All right. Okay, cool. That's that's uh, I, yeah, and that's the super yeah, team, the Norway Norwegian super team. I've heard about it, and, and you know, I don't know a whole lot, but that's, that's that's cool what they had going on. They were winning. I mean, sorely won in two thousand four. Was there another Norwegian team that won in that time, or a five, Scandinavian team? Oh five. Oh five. Who? Robert sorely won it twice. Yeah, or once. No, twice. just one. He won twice. Oh yeah, oh five, oh three, oh five, oh three, and then and then, but then like the other years that in, around then they were in the top five, you know, yeah. yeah, total force to be reckoned with. So, and then Mots, now he's coming in here, dude, feeling yeah. like what are you, what are you thinking, what are you thinking for this year, what are your goals? Yeah, you know, I have have a good team this year, you know, but I also know lots of experience of being here on the race, so. I'm, 
have been in a place around 20 plays, 16, 17 is my best, but we always, of course, look a little bit, bit in front to be to do better and so on. But uh, I must be really 100% honest, I, I never really put it all on the line to push the dogs and to be finishing that way. So it's been so important for me to do it in a really good way with with a good team and happy team. And everybody say it maybe, but I'm really that type of person also. So I'm, I'm not really the guy that really put it all on the line in the end of the race and so on. So, but yeah, so, so it's different when you work with dogs and animals. So it's been always my, my main priority and so on, but I, I'm, I'm proud of what we've done. We finished all the races the last 20 years. We hasn't a scratch, you know, so, so I think that's also a bit that we take care of the dogs in a good way and we doesn't uh, overrun them or run them too hard or, or, or rough and so on. So, but maybe, of course, with another musher, maybe we could get a better, better result in the list. I think because the dogs are good, but I, I'm, I'm pleased with what we're doing, and I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I, uh, you know, the consistency of you, of you being in this race and finishing, you know, middle, front of the middle of the pack or back of the front of the pack, whatever you want to call it. But you know, uh, it's and now we only got, you know, we got a few more, a few less mushers. You know, maybe uh, you know, top twenty, top twenty is and certainly, certainly in the cards for you, and uh, and you know, who knows, could be better. And um, so this year, this last three days, it has been Brendan. We were talking really warm, concerningly warm. Things are melting, and it's okay for it to be this warm for two days, but it's you know it's now it's been like four or five days, and you know they get running on rivers. Rivers are you know. They melt. They're water. They're water, dude. They melt. You know, so I'm interested to see, you know, what this, what the, what ends up happening here. Uh, you know, if they have to make any last minute changes or adjustments, and and uh, you know, there's all these kind of whispers and murmurs I've heard the last couple of days, mostly from Buto. If we're gonna be honest, oh, yeah. <laughs> he was saying, you know, that there's, uh, you know, a brown, brown, it's pretty brown there on the farewell burn, is what I've heard from a few people, and and uh, Ooh, but then there's a lot. Then it be what? I only seen it brown in my ears. I never seen it white. <laughs> dude, for me, it was like, like there was a couple of sections that were dusty, but like for the most part, it was actually, yeah, there's pretty like pretty decent snow cover. I and, heard about that year. I heard about that year. So <laughs> I wasn't yeah. that. Yeah, I so I was like, oh, what is the big deal? Why does everyone talk about the farewell burn? Like it's just the whatever, you know. It it was fine for me, but I'm sure it can be 2014, right? You said 2014 was your was uh rookie yeah talk, that was your rookie year and so uh you know people Brendan talk about the 2014 race is a special year it's a special year people it, it lives down you know for me I've heard of that year more times than any other year from people around the mushing scene what was your experience rookie year you're running with Buto, my our you know our good friend, and you know what what you know I I've, there no snow on the Dalzell Gorge Rainy Pass you know there no snow on the Farewell Burn and they had like tree stumps that were you know yeah. a foot. To be honest, to be honest, it was super crazy, and I still today can't understand how I didn't scratch how I keep on finish the race. I should have scratched earlier because they were so horrible. To 
conditions. And the last thing we got to told before we head out on a trial, we're going to promise you a safe trail. And there was not anything but safe that year. You know, they have trees in the middle of, of the tray, like putting up and so on. It was like yeah, I crashed three ribs myself. And I think for three or four times, I just dropped the sled down to the side to just stop. You know, I used to literally pull down the sled on the side just to make it stop, you know, because when I come over a hill, there was somebody laying there with dogs and so on. So it was totally crazy and, and um, not a good experience and so on but yeah uh, and when i was on the trail i said i'll never do this again this was the worst i ever done in my life i've never been afraid mushing but that year i was afraid of mushing and of course when you see helicopter coming in and pick up people seeing jordan hurt and so on but the crazy thing with all these stories that the dogs was better than ever the dogs just dialed in the dogs was super good you know you can think you know, they didn't have snow and attractions and everything but they were so good and they were big teams coming into the coast and so it was the, the crazy thing it was our musher who had the biggest problems this year for sure and and we had and then that was super tough and it was all the race no it was not like any section was really calm to be honest it was just like next day was a new challenge the next day was a new challenge and um, i remember ralph johannesson who just won filmmark slip but back in norway that year before he has come asked me like can we run this together this is crazy and he had experience from 25 30 years but we were both rookies in aditor that year but uh, so hey i'm also a rookie so better to go talk to mitch cv or somebody all the older guys <laughs> that know it better you know but they were everybody was was afraid that year so you're correct 2014 was a special year and a small brain you have yourself when you then sign up for 2015 again. I don't. What did you just say? A small brain? Is that what <laughs> you just said? How can, I, how can I forget everything? How can I forget it? <laughs> oh, man. That is amazing. Yeah, I can't imagine, man. It's like you get these runs from hell and you're just like, I just would love to get to the next checkpoint. And you're like, all right, it's behind me. It's probably fine. Like moving forward, it can't get any worse than that. And probably. I'm betting at some point it did, you know, it's just, that's just like how, how it went. It's gone for me and, and the, some of those runs for your, but like, yeah, 2014 sounds wild. Uh, and, and no, but this, carn this total not, carnage. Yeah. You talked about this. Yeah, we've been warm now, you know, we are normally super good trials in my area where we go from Lim Limwood place in Willow and he is the one who's always groomed the trails here before and so on so but i was, went out yesterday and i just turned back you know because there were no really trail and the dogs was just floating down there so it was not good at all so and of course you're thinking of the, the, the days before the race you will have type of your schedule how you want to run them but you just have to change it and it's i guess the same for most of the guys who are in this area at least and so you just have to change them and uh, don't do any stupid moves to go out and train along training with with horrible conditions you know it's something in the race if you want to run in the race and do it then you just go over it and do it but here and when you can choose to not train the dogs in this condition i choose to not train them and they they have the solid training for the rest of the year so i don't think two three more days so or less lesser training would hurt. but i think it's more like a stress for people you know they really want to have this schedule that they have planned before the race i think more of that yeah 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 these last like few days few weeks before the race it's like yeah, obviously you've done ninety nine percent of your training before today, and but you still feel like oh, I got to get my dogs moving. Like, what can we do? You probably try to get them some kind of exercise, like just running loose or going on a hike or something, or just like on a leash or something. And then we know we have 
just a day or two or three days more, and then it's going to drop down to colder temperatures. Hopefully the trails harden up. You can get out there to get your dogs out on some, some longer runs, but yeah, it has been, we had the coldest freaking two weeks ever followed by the warmest two weeks ever. So. Mats, Mats, I'm wondering about how you're, you handle, or if you have any tips or stories in relation, in regards to sleep deprivation. Yeah, seriously, I think it's super individual with the sleep deprivation. I, I have, I am really good to not sleep, you know, so I, I can handle the sleep deprivation super good, you know, so, so for me, I haven't overslept one time during my years and I did the road, something like that when I was on the race and so on. So I'm, I'm pretty much in my own zone when it's race time and, and, uh, preparing and stuff like that so i'm of course i'm super tired like everybody else it's not like i'm a super guy but i i don't have the same problem as i see somebody else have and on the trail that they have much more more issues with it so so i'm i, I am personally myself okay with not sleeping so much even if it's, it's tough but i'm very also concerned about drinking much and eating and lots on the trail and so on because i lose very much weight every year on the race i lose lots of weight but then super important to to keep on drinking good because otherwise i have some problems with migraine and stuff like that if you get stressed and you can't really if you have it on the race it's, it's not good at all you know so so taking care of yourself taking care of your body and so on and eat good and try to drink good when you can and stuff like that is of course the, the main main thing but i think this thing with sleeping and it's it's very individual so i, I can you know, i can only speak for myself it's like dude you need to be a a Diderotericky coach yeah you know because yeah i mean brandon it sucks drinking water water doesn't even taste that good dude it's like you gotta get some like something to put in there but yeah it's tough to want to drink warm or cold probably cold water when it's cold and it's bland like I barely want to drink water like fully rested on a normal day, you know, like let alone being out there. I remember uh, uh, this is a fun story. So I uh on the last run, you know, you got Well, the, I said yeah, my water. I I uh you know, my rookie year I had it sprung on to me rather abruptly with a 5 days notice and you know, we have our drug test on the White White Mountain you know, and I had been smoking weed, dude. That's the honest truth. And uh, and Alex Buto, he sent me a note that he left in the che the checkpoint at Elam. He's like, dude, you got to Here's what you do to pass your test. Just he's like, just drink like two Nalgene's of water between here and there. You know, and and it'll get it out of your system or something or whatever. And uh, so I, and it was like the gnarliest storm I'd have been in the whole race up till then. It was blowing like 50. And I'm sitting, you know, the dogs, I'm like, I don't even see the trail. And I'm sitting there like just trying to chuck water. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> yeah, so it's it's tough to stay hydrated out there. And uh, I'm glad you're taking care of yourself because I, you know, most people, most people aren't. Most people are running on nicotine and sugar. Oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, and actually, the other question, Sean kind of said, "Man, you should be you should be given the tips for the rookies." And that's honestly what one of my next questions was. Um, you know, you, 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 it it takes a lot just to get you to the to this start line, right? 
And so it's pretty important for you. It sounds like to make sure you're, you're making the right decisions that in the big picture, get you to the finish line. Uh, and so I'm curious if you, if you could simplify getting from start to finish, like what are some tips, you know, if you're out there on the trail, you know, if someone happens to be listening to this before they go out for the rookie, I did ride, um, you know, like what are your tips for when you're dealing with like a mental breakdown or something? Yeah, it's pretty, uh, what you're saying there, like just coming to the finish, like to the start line of a race, it's like you can have so much excuses to not come up to the start line of the race. You can find those excuses that I'm not feeling good, we, uh, everything like doesn't work out and so on. But I've been super focused if I tell something that we're going to do this then we go and do this, you know? So then, then I, I'm really focused to do it because as, as you say, it's really easy to say, like, just come to the start line, but just, I've been saying, I'm going to do this race and then I do this race and focus on doing this race, which is very important for me to do. So, and then all the crew around me, everybody, we know this is the, the plan for this year. And then we, we first look over the race thoughts and so on. And then we make tours after that. And so that's the planning home for me. Like, so we start already in the summer back in and that and uh, supporting family and so on. I always, of course, ask if they're fine for me to go over and they tell me, this is what you want to do. This is a dream. And my my wife and my daughters, everything like that, they support me super much. So 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 that helps for the start. I mean, if, if you if you say like that, so that helped me a lot. And then considering the race is is like I'm very good to just uh, take checkpoint by checkpoint. Sounds super boring, sounds super but that's how I do it. You know, that's, this is the next stretch we're going to do. This is a 65 miles to how we're going to do it the best way with my team and how we're going to split up the runs and everything like that. So it's always in the back of my mind and so on and look at the dogs and see what they need and so on, because sitting home and make a paper drawing about how the race is going to be. If you don't know, it's going to be five day snowstorm in Euroleague or whatever going to happen on the race. It's just like, for me, yeah, you can have a, a base, what you're going to do, but when, when it's really happening out there, things have to change, you know, so, and your team is changing and so on. So are they eating good? Are they happy? And uh, all of that, you know, so take all of these elements together and put in in a box and then you work with that and then work it in a, in a good way. My team is working on happiness very much. So I'm trying to stay happy with them. They see directly if I'm in a bad mood, they see directly and there's total difference because during my life, I've been, having time with them of my life that I haven't felt so good always, you know, and, and so on. And when I go out in the dog yard, the dogs see it on me directly, you know, they see this is not a good day and so on. And it's not, we only say, this is something we can see back as a mirror in the dogs. If you're feeling good and the dog's feeling good and, and so on. So it's just go hand in hand with each other. If you're stressed, if I come home from a dog work, they're stressed. No way to go out training. Why should I train, be stressed and be small, irritated and so on? Then I just skip the training. But I, I learned that during the year. I learned it by my mistakes and so on over the years. So I think that's that's the standard. If you have harmony in your life, if you're happy around what you're doing and this is what you want to do, and then it helps you a lot on the trails. Nice. Sean, what's going through your head over there? I. Dude, my head has nothing going on in my head ever. I'm completely <laughs> foggy all the time. Hard working day today. <laughs> yeah, I had a long day today. Um, but yeah, you're gonna have some long days ahead of you. So 
and I'll see you out on the trail. I'm excited about that. You know, it's fun. It's fun making, getting to talk, talk with everybody before the race and, and hopefully will I see you out. Will you be on the trail Will you be on yeah, the trail? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm helping out with the Iditarod Insider crew and uh, running a live feed. And I don't really know what it all entails. I'm still kind of. Awesome. I must say, I've been listening to your pod. Very good work. I told we talked before, even the, the, the start and so on. So I think it's really good that. And listen to to what you do and you do good work and you try to put passion in it in different ways and different aspects of different people and not only like the the big guys which is i think it's super important to also have some upcoming guys and some guys that maybe not on the top of the list always and so on so i think it's very good that you are very wide in, in the in the way you take interview with people and talk with people it can't not always be like only only a couple of brent and dallas show every year right it's important that everybody gets, I mean, that their own opinion, what they think and what they do. But of course, it's a race. I understand the winner is important and somebody's also like to, to grow the sport. It's important to to have that. But I think what, what thing what I want to say about what I think really Alaska is one way behind the Scandinavia is like what I talk recreational classes, like having smaller classes with dogs, six, eight dog teams and so on like that to... Because if you have smaller teams, more people can actually do racing and so on. So then you you grow up, you don't need to, because it's expensive nowadays with the, with the meat and everything around to have dogs. But in Scandinavia, maybe you've seen, we have lots of these eight, eight dog classes also. Then you only need nine, ten dogs and you can be a part of a race, a big race, like Finnmarkslöpe or Feminlöpe, what we have. So so that's something you can do the 600 mile race with the eight dogs there's an eight dog class miles race it's just slightly shorter some some are slightly shorter and so on and some are longer so it's different but i mean anyway you're there even if you can't be the guy who have 16 dogs on the race and have 30 dogs home you anyway be part of the race and be part of one class in the race and so on so that would mm-hmm. all happen that editor could have that for sure also i mean there's absolutely that they couldn't i mean maybe we could have like 20 30 mushers that did like a eight or class shorter run maybe they go all the way to yeah i don't know so but the, to to ruby or something like that for example they could also be like an i don't know logistic is not easy i know but it's also something that can grow the sport yeah yeah absolutely there's a lot lots of room for i mean it's con- this mushing world you know there's there's gonna always be races and coming and going and and it'd be good to, uh, but that's something that we really haven't seen up here is having those smaller dog class races and even, you know, started at a hundred mile race or something, you know, it'd be cool to have a six dog, a hundred mile race. That sounds awesome. Uh, I like that idea. I like yes, that idea a lot. Much, many mushrooms around there who want to do races, you know, but maybe just editor is too expensive, a too big project and others, but I was the other weekend I was at Sheep Creek and so like 20 teams set off from the from a Sheep Creek fun race, 80 mile, really cool and lots of happy people around there. There was also it's just a fun race, you know, but that those things are so important uh, to put up, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Getting getting the people, everybody involved from on all levels, you know. Um, yeah, there's that was what we saw was this weekend, this last weekend, the Two Rivers 200 and Two Rivers 100, you just saw like all these teams that I, I mean, I at least have never heard of, and and they put the race together with like zero heads up. Like I think they had that race figured out like three weeks before it happened, and there was like 25 teams in the race. So there's just like there is all these like recreational teams up in Fairbanks in the Fairbanks area. 
and they're just super stoked to go out there and run a 100 or 200 mile event and be around a bunch of other dog teams, a bunch of other not like-minded people. So that was kind of cool to see. And it's like, I'm at, you know, that was just like stringing together something last minute, making it an Iditarod qualifier. Next thing you know, you got all these teams, all these mushers coming into the scene. And that's, that's, you know, I think the ongoing, like, this is what everyone always who doesn't really people, people that are peripherally involved with the mushing community would say, Oh, there's only 40 people in the Iditarod this year. Oh yeah. It's really, yeah, it's really getting, no, have you, you haven't been around all the other races, the connect 200 completely filled up the Cusco back up to the numbers. It was five years ago, copper basin, 25, 30 mushers, the two rivers, 200 gets put on flash second has 18 participants. Yeah. We're seeing these, seeing the, it's the stoke and the activity in these races and maybe, okay, maybe not everybody's ready to run a thousand mile event across the entire state of Alaska, but maybe they could be. No, and, but it's pretty good that you yeah. tell it because it's not only about I did the, the big race, it's so much about the other races also, which is really, really important. And see, it's been fully, fully booked all of those races, you know. This is great. This is super good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I think for some, you know, the Iditarod is super important. It is seems to be kind of the iconic event in the mushing world. But, you know, I wish that there was little people knew a little bit more about the Cusco people knew a little bit more about the quest people knew a little bit more you know about these other events that are so awesome special and uh really difficult and you know when I was mushing before I ran the Iditarod they're like hey you know these visitors to Alaska they'd be like so you're gonna run the Iditarod I'm like I mean I don't know but like I ran a copper basin it was freaking hard and it's like you never heard of it, I guess, but like, you know, yeah. can I get like anything like give me a little credit? Like it was kind of, you know, some people might say like the 300 mile races in some ways because you're just like not sleeping at all the whole time. You know, you might sleep a little bit here and there, but like, you know, at least you, you're getting some naps in most people in the Iditarod. Unless you know, you're so. Mott's. No, oh, yeah. Mott's, Mott's yeah. doesn't sleep, dude. He's a I'm beast. Sleeping also. I'm sleeping also, but I don't know. Yeah, Oh man. Well, uh, you know, we're, I think we've been going now for about an hour and, uh, want to be respectful of your time. Um, one thing that I was just kind of thinking about in my head, uh, do you have like a favorite year that you've, you've run the Iditarod? Like, whether it was the result you were happy with, the adversity you fought through, you had to, you know, to get there, or maybe it was like, man, these conditions were the best conditions this year. Um, I'm just kind of curious your thought on that. Yeah, you know, I, I run the race, but it's been like you say, like the race is never the same every year, you know, which is not around 14 crazy a year, 15 moved the start to Fairbanks, 16 changed the route. 17 again Fairbanks 18 so it's been really different type of of years I've been running but I enjoyed very much to be to George Atlas home place I can say that I think it was really emotional going into a place called Hoosley one year we run they changed the route there we come in from from Galena run to Hooslia and, and Koyokok and those areas and, and it was a special atmosphere there 
he just passed away, he passed at village that year and everything around what happened. So that trail that year I liked really much, to be honest. I think it was super cool to pass there and so on. And also have some amazing stories on the trail, what happens on the trail and stuff like that. And we help people and get helped by people and so on during, during all my years I've been running. So so I, I, remember, I can get understand when I'm sitting here in a room with Limbo Fielder who done it 20 plus times and you have Pan Spirit Award on the left side, his second place on the right side, and just sitting and have a chat with him and talking about what happened back in the days and and so on. So I think there's so much things going on in a race like this that you have always with you, you know, in, in some good ways, some bad ways, but it's a memory for your life to to be part of this long journey and race and meeting the people, the locals and so on around the race. And I, I must say I've been really thankful that the uh, also for the race community that uh, the small places we pass through is the open their place for us also for mushers every year and and celebrate this this thing to do the race and and so it's been it's been uh, many memories during the years and i hope we can have some more in front of us also it's not like a, we're getting super old but i also feel like uh, i'm very really humbled to be here every year i'm here i'm not cannot know really when if there will be a next time or something like that but i'm very humble to to finish this race seven time and now go go out to my eight time journey to do it so yeah something special about those small communities off the road system in the middle of nowhere in alaska you know you just you don't get that kind of vibe in many other places on earth really so and uh yeah george atla brendan do you know who george atla is I I'm not gonna pretend to. That's okay. Not gonna pretend to. All right. So yeah, yeah uh, George Atla. He's maybe Mats. You might be better at explaining it. Why don't you go ahead? No, I'm I'm not better than anybody else to explain it. But he's a legend in the mushing world. You know, he's done a lot for 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 the mushing world. He's amazing. He was amazing musher, and he was before his time when he considered to dogs and everything like that, uh, and so on. So so. It's worth to read some of his stories and books or whatever is out there because it's pretty pretty epic epic stuff and from from where he was and the village and the area around so 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 that but it, it's much it much uh, big names during the years like in Foster Reddington's family everything like that also so I'm super pleased to be be part of the Reddingtons when I'm here and meeting them and and be part of their families and so on so I have big respect in all these families that put in so much in this sport that we're doing today. And that's why, that's why it's running. That's why the race is running. So, yeah. I was just looking at some pictures of him. Yeah. He's got aviators and he's got a bad leg and he won the Ferrandi a bunch of times. Also known as the Huslia Hustler or something. Huslia 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 Hustler. Yeah, there you go. Nice. Well, Mats, thank you so much for your time. I know you've been super busy time, literally friggin' less than two weeks from the big race. And uh, I'm I'm gonna be rooting for you out there for sure. And hopefully see you too. Um and and has anyone ever told you you look like Ernie Els? You know who Ernie Els is? Ernie Els. No, 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 nobody told me. But I also want to say <laughs> you must you must say Mr. Butov. It's time to be on the front of the team. It's always the backs sweeps in the race you know with the snow machine i never get to meet him so say hi to him if you meet him okay all right he's listening trust me so uh, yeah that'll be good enough yes so and thanks for putting up the good good uh, pod guys and shows i appreciate that so and, and yes thank you thanks for coming on